Welcome to the Stable Travel Podcast, hosted by Nicolette Lafferty. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Stable Travel Podcast, Best of Bethel. We will cover from episode 1 to 33 to find the best moment we had so far in the Stable Travel Podcast. We will cover a bit of everything and find the best moment for airport issue, transport issue, accommodation, really anything. So let's start off with some top moment or airport issue in this podcast. Um, I was heading up to South Australia with my mum with a couple other people from who are South Australian and Amy Tobin. Um, we got to the airport and they um, we told them specifically to lift it a certain way up, that this way it goes up, it's fragile, don't throw it, chuck it or anything like that. And we were from the viewing deck so you can see all the planes and stuff. We saw them through them, threw it into the cargo hold and mum and I were not impressed. Um, for somebody, like I have a mobility aid in a prosthetic. Um, for me, it's pretty easy to go through an airport security in Australia. And I find um, even more recently with the technology, I can walk through a scanner and it can highlight that I have metal, but only in my right leg. And so if I'm wearing shorts, they won't even need to like wander me down. They'll just go, okay, I can see that you have a, like a mobility aid and they'll just let me keep walking. Um, I know in the US, they're very strict, obviously, um, what happened with 9-11 in um, their security protocols. And so things just take a little bit longer. And then you go to some countries who may have never seen a prosthetic before. And I remember going through Dubai, I believe it was, a few years ago, and they wanted to take my prosthetic through the x-ray machine, which I was fine with. Um, it went through the x-ray machine and it got to the other side and they were like, we need to, we need to take this away for testing. And I was like, well, where are you taking it? Because I can't walk without it. And like, oh, it will just take like maybe a 24 hours to test all of the materials inside. And I was like, you can't take that away from me for 24 hours. Um, and so I, I had to negotiate with this airport security to let me take my leg and move on and that I wasn't a threat. Um, because they didn't have the policies and procedures in place. Navigating airports was an experience for me that really put into perspective how airport travel really needs to change for those with people with disabilities, particularly those in chairs, because there are so many debacles around keeping your chair with you. Like, my chair is the extension of my legs. It gives me my independence. It gives me the freedom to move whenever I so please. And when airport staff request that it get put under the plane now and that I get pushed around in one of their chairs, that's like taking my legs off and saying you can't walk anywhere. And that doesn't work. It, it takes away your independence. It takes away your choice. So I really didn't like that, particularly when we got overseas and that 
the rules were different than Australian airports. So I had to go in an, one of their chairs. They are just some of the best moments I had on the Disabled Travel Podcast while talking about airport travel. Now, we got so many different thoughts we cover on this podcast. And there are a lot of people with disabilities play a sport and represent the country. Now, it's important to remember not everyone with a disability wants to be a superstar in sport. So, let's keep that in mind. But here are some of the best moments in sport. I suppose when it comes to national tournaments, my my team, the, the New South Wales team, has often been up there. We often win probably gold or silver each year for the national championships. We got the gold medal um, at the 2022 tournament, which was quite exciting. After having two or three years off uh, with the whole COVID period, it was nice to come back and actually do well. Um, in terms of the Australian side, um, my team back in... 2017 the the youth Australian team we went to Hungary for the world youth championships and we actually came out of that with the gold medal which was really exciting Australia's never done that well um, before that was our first gold medal at that kind of tournament so that was really really exciting especially being one of the older members of the team at that tournament it was it was a really good feeling Um, since then I suppose in the regional championships last year in Bahrain, the women's team, we came away with the silver medal, which was a really good step for us. We were a pretty new team. So um, following the team that went to Tokyo in, in 2021, there was a, a couple of the players who retired. So we had some pretty new players going to Bahrain. So coming out with the silver medal was really amazing achievement for us, I think. Yeah, it was interesting. When I was in, as I said, I played rep basketball for school and university, sort of, I was in the rep team from year eight, so I was pretty pretty keen on basketball. And then when I was broke my back, my basketball mates from uni bought me down a little Perspex ball and a little a little Perspex backboard and a foam ball, and I could lie in bed and shoot hoops with my ball on a string. And then the physio said, would you like to try wheelchair basketball? And I'm like, what is that? It was 1988 and no one even knew what a Paralympic was. And then these two really buff sports people in sporty wheelchairs came and said, oh, you should come to wheelchair basketball. So off I went once I was sitting up with my big plastic brace on that I had to wear for eight months in my hospital wheelchair. And they took me out to Mount Druitt, which is the wheelchair sports stadium out in Western Sydney, where I thought was you get killed with knives and stones, but I ended up teaching for five years. And I wheeled into that stadium and I remember it really clearly. There were people in wheelchairs who were going fast and having fun and they had jobs and cars and boyfriends they were studying they had a life and it was like oh my goodness this is fine like look at these people they're living a great life and and they played sport and a sport that I already knew but the adjustment I had to make I had to get a whole bunch stronger in my upper body and learn to maneuver the wheelchair so I was selected pretty quickly into the New South Wales women's team. Yeah um, getting to go to the Cerebral Palsy World Games was something that was so incredible. I was so excited because that was actually my first time ever leaving Australia. Um, It did mean that I was 
extremely nervous. Uh, I didn't have a plan yet in place for what I was going to do to try and help me with such a long flight. Um, we flew Sydney to Dubai and then from Dubai on to Barcelona. Um, and that was something that I was then trying to speed work out with my physio and therapy team. Um, but then once I was there, um, I think that there were some elements that were really great. Um, and then there were other parts that were a bit more difficult. Um, I know that this was a bit of a unique experience. Um, the Cerebral Palsy World Games was something that was um, previously run by um, CP Isra. And um, for us to attend, um, it was a self-funded trip. And I was the sole member of the Australian swim team. Um, but luckily I was joined by a few people that have now become some of my really good friends um, who were all competing in athletics. Oh, that was such an amazing experience. The fact that there's people there and they can take people on sit skis, it just enables you so much more. And one of the amazing things that I learned was that people can sit ski independently which I find pretty hard to believe. You would need enormous amount of arm and core strength to be able to do that well. But just the generosity and the time all those people give up to volunteer their free time and take time off work to help people with disabilities have that same skiing experience. It's just such an amazing and disabled winter sports Australia. Yeah. Such a brilliant organisation. I know that in parts of America, Japan, Canada, they have something similar going on. So it's good that's expanding worldwide as well. What a amazing group of highlight of thought and confrontation I had on the Deadpool Travel podcast. I did have a lot more, but I'm trying to select a few for the best of battle. Well, before I go on any further, next month of July, we got Disability Pride Month, where we take pride of our disability. Our flag of Disability Pride Month has different colours for different types of disability, from physical to sensory to mental, really one for each colour of, of different type of disability. It's really like category. So I hope you do some research on it and take a disability or know someone with a disability, take some pride in having a disability and enjoy the month of July. Now we got some pretty amazing adventure at sport. So let's see what is the best moment on episode 1233 on the Stable Travel Podcast.
Portugal was really nice, I will admit. I think that was probably up there on my list of all the places that we've been to. Um, we stayed in Porto. So we did a, a night overnight in Lisbon and that was quite nice, but we didn't get to do sightseeing in Lisbon. We just mostly stayed in Porto. But, yeah, going through the old city with all the, the old buildings covered in tiles and things, that was really nice. Um I think probably my next favourite would be Montreal. It was the first time I saw snow, so that's definitely up on the list. Um, we went there in, like, the middle of January, so it was very wet but snowy, um, very cold, weren't quite used to that being an Aussie. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was one day in Montreal we just decided to go on an adventure and we found a castle and went for dinner and then we uh, went for a little wander around and found like a, a naturally frozen lake where you could hire little uh, ice skates and things. And so we went ice skating, which was pretty amazing. Um, but, yeah, I generally I like going to Europe. I think Europe is pretty amazing. Yeah. So apart from Montreal, I think, or any of the places we've been to in Europe would be at the top of my list. In Copenhagen, at the end of the trip, we went to a fully accessible museum, which was cool to see. But sometimes there were only wheelchair lifts up the stairs, so no ramps for other impairments. I was pleased to see the Sandlauf symbol on display at the museum in Copenhagen at the, at the airport, and there were more people with different disabilities than I had seen early on the trip there. Yeah. Um, so in 2018, I was given the opportunity to um, go on a seven-continent marathon over seven days <laughs> with uh, two um, uh, two friends um, to raise money for the Cerebral Palsy Alliance. And we went around, um, we flew to each of the seven continents um, over seven days, which was quite crazy, um, but it was just great to um, see different places and also get the opportunity to have um, uh, be on a chartered uh, flight. But interestingly, I found that um, my two friends, they really got um, an insight in what it's like traveling for me because, you know, you have to do a lot of planning, a lot of explaining about um like I mentioned before, my lithium battery that I use for my chair. So it was quite eye-opening for them, um, at that sort of experience, which was great. And, yeah, I just I loved it. I was exhausted by the end of it, but it was really worth it um, just seeing those different places. I do a lot of conservation and disability advocacy work and my conservation efforts Saving the critically endangered pain. Um, I have wanted to be awarded the 2021 Queensland Young Australian of the Year. So my brother and I, we go all around Australia talking at schools and conferences about the importance of Elaine Pant and how we can all get involved in conversation and make a difference. 
there's so many uh, different adventures that people with disabilities who come onto the Accessible Travel podcast to talk about. Now we're going to move on to the accommodation issue. We do have a lot of this one, so I would just select the best story that we had heard on the Accessible Travel podcast. So that was my mum trying to organise international hotels, which we looked into and it was too expensive for us at the time. So we tried an Airbnb. Oh my gosh. No, because when we arrived, the lift wasn't big enough to fit any of my equipment. So my wheelchair wouldn't even fit in the lift. And so I had to hold on for dear life onto the bars in the lift as I was standing in the lift, go up the top with my cousin who was holding on to the frame of my wheelchair and then come back down the lift. They grabbed my wheels, brought that back up so that I could then sit down again. I got uh, into the apartment and then they had to carry my throwing chair and my track chair up the staircase because none of it would have fit in the lift. And so that was something that it was a little bit of a blind side for us because we'd never experienced something like that before, having never done a trip like that with all of my equipment. So that was a, a massive lesson learnt. I was down in Canberra just last week. Um, I'm a presenter for Sport Integrity Australia and we were down at their head office doing some training and when I arrived at the hotel the night before there was a big it was a two-story building and there was a big curved staircase right in the middle and at reception they said okay you're on level two and I was like all right uh, where's the lift I said oh we don't have one and I laughed because I haven't actually come across that um, just yet. And though they were being serious, there was no lift. And I said, well, I've got a prosthetic leg. Could someone maybe carry my suitcase? Um, I'm about a year post knee reconstruction as well as an ankle surgery. So I'm being very careful because um, things like lifting a suitcase, walking upstairs, you can have... Um, can really affect your recovery and I've had instances where my knee has been a bit iffy so um, they put me down on the ground level and they said you just walk down the hall it's in the second building you just go out a door go back in so I'm walking down the hall it's down about seven stairs <laughs> and you cross the road go into the next building and it's up another seven stairs <laughs> and by this point I was like oh I'm just gonna have to do do my best and when I got to the office the next day, you know, knowing that my work, I was like, you wouldn't assume hotels wouldn't be accessible. So I was like, this isn't their fault. Um, and sort of mentioned to them in the future, it's probably not the best place to have any para-athletes stay because it was very inaccessible. And then someone said, oh, how are you handling the bathroom? Because it was one of those bathrooms with the shower over the bath. And they can be very risky for me, I've only got one leg. At the moment, I'm showering sitting down just to minimise any um, any fall risks. And I just sort of replied, I was like, oh, I'm not even, not even trying to use that shower. 
I'm just having all my showers at the pool. And that was when my work was like, oh, we have to move you. And I was quite surprised because I hadn't asked for it. But, you know, there's been situations in the past um, where rooms haven't been ideal and on the team never get moved. It's always, well, you have to adapt. So when we go to a Paralympics, uh, Australia as a country actually, like we all have are allocated to one building. So we'll take over like a whole building within the Paralympic Village. Um, a few months out from the Paralympic Games, we'll kind of get a map of the village and we'll find out where we've been allocated. And then from there, we kind of make a plan on how far away our building is to the transport hub so that we can get to the competitions and how far the building is away from the dining hall because we go to the dining hall three times a day to eat. Um, And so in terms of like the accessibility and accommodation, like I said, I really struggle with walking long distances. So I think that's like the biggest consideration is like how far away our home base is from all of the things that I need in the village. In terms of the in-room accessibility, I don't need to um, anything like too different to what I have at home. Like I live on a third story apartment in Sydney and so I'm used to climbing stairs. But one thing I have noticed about going to a Paralympics is that um, the buildings are all very tall and the elevators are all very small. And so if you have a whole team staying with you, you have a wheelchair rugby team, men and women's team, and a wheelchair basketball team, men and women. And you also have people who are playing other sports that are also in wheelchairs. And so you might have like 90 people that are using wheelchairs on your team and enough space in an elevator for two at a time. And so you need to make an allowance when you're traveling to your competition that you could be waiting half an hour for the lift because the lift will open, it will be full. Hmm. I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of my team comes to is like the the blinds in the rooms that we use because of a lot of us are glare sensitive. So if there's too much light in the room, it it just is too difficult. And I think we found at one of the recent tournaments that you could either have the blinds open and you could see, but it was way too bright, or if they were closed, it was pitch black in the room and you still couldn't really do anything. So that makes it difficult when we're trying to be productive and we've got all our gear and everything laid out in our rooms. Um, the other one, I suppose, is just access in terms of getting around outside, like in the general environment near the accommodation. Um that's probably the other one, but it's not been too bad. I think most of the places we've been to have been quite good. Um, there tends to be a lot of planning that goes into it, but most of the time it's the organising committee for the tournament that tells us where to stay, so we don't really have much say in it. Um, but I guess they kind of take that into consideration that there's going to be, you know, 100, 200 blind people staying there, so there's going to be a little bit of planning. <laughs> What a great variety of accessibility issues from different people with different disabilities. Now I'm going to start wrapping up with Bet or Pickle or with Accessible Travel Podcast. So I hope you tune in to the future episode and we will continue with new stories to be here with a variety of different disabilities not just those in wheelchair and walker. So thank you for listening and I hope to see you next week.
You have been listening to the Accessible Travel Podcast. You can follow Nicholas on his Instagram page, nlaku20.